Thank you for tuning in and listening to or watching SNTR Presents or Say No to Rage or whatever you call me. I'm going to be reading through the director's cut from Luke Smith. This may end up on my podcast feeds if I feel like it's good content. I'm going to read through Luke Smith's address on August the 13th. This is part one, I think, of a three-parter that he's going to be putting out there. So, director's cut, part one. Hey, everyone. Wanted to try a little experiment with our communications and put together a longer look at where destiny has been over the last few months and where it's heading next i think it's important to take time to reflect on what's happened so we can show you where we're going i'm calling this director's cut based on how long this ended up being a key learning from this is maybe there's a better way to communicate this than a giant wall of text let me know i may like doing it in a different format in the future i'll let you know i would say maybe a stream would be pretty cool but we'll see i just i like hearing from luke i like hearing him talk Today I'm going to talk about more than just Destiny game and talk about how we build Destiny and the effects it can have on the team. I think transparency about the game is important, and I also want to be transparent about the work required. Sound okay? That's rhetorical because a wall of text is coming up. We're making a lot of changes to Destiny 2 with Shadowkeep and New Light. We want Destiny 2 to be an amazing action MMO in a single evolving world that you can play anytime, anywhere with your friends. I'm going to keep referencing that all the time until it's true, and then I'm going to keep referencing that until it's good enough. Really like the phrasing here, really like where uh, they're wanting to take things, so I really appreciate Luke's uh, Luke's candor already, okay? Here we go. Ten thoughts on the last six months looking back. Overall, there are some things about Annual Pass that worked out very well and some real learnings for us along the way. The Annual Pass was a big transition for us. We've been moving away from DLC and trying to provide more ongoing reasons to play Destiny. I wanted to start to with the, uh, start the state of the game series by looking back on how we got here. Um, I'm going to largely focus on Season of the Drifter to near present day. So it's pretty good that uh, he's starting with Season of the Drifter uh, because I think, you know, I think that's a that's a that's a pretty good place where things started to kind of go poorly uh, for them. So we set up a calendar of content, showed you the plan early, and delivered it. That's a heading, okay? A lot of you love Destiny for the chase on the way of improving your characters between the annual pass drops, quest lines, and events. In between, the team did a great job of providing stuff to do: items to chase, growing fat with strengths, etc. Destiny history has made many content droughts, uh, has made many content droughts, but not this year. But, another heading here, another heading, it says, But, the annual pass was harder on the team than we anticipated. The scope of what we delivered, the pace that we delivered, it, and the overall thought throughout the annual pass takes a toll on the Bungie team. I and many others had conversations throughout the year with team members who had jumped from release to release about the grind of working on Destiny. Working on the game was starting to wear people down. Here is an example. During the annual pass, we invented new bespoke ways to earn rewards each season. Black Armory had bounties, Season of the Drifter had the Reckoning Machine, Season of Opulence had its Chalice. Each of these mechanics, each uh, with their own lessons, were valuable, but also put the team into unsustainable development cycle. We needed to develop a more systemic, standardized set of mechanics for progression to keep our teams healthier. We're going to take this problem on in Destiny 2 to Year 3. First of all, I want to take a moment and just appreciate 
the candor and transparency here because this is something we've been talking about I literally used that phrase this morning unsustainable development cycles that is something that is problematic in game development at large okay so I appreciate the candor and I hope they can make things better for the people working at Bungie I would never want the game I love being made by people who probably love it equally to become poison in their veins and in their minds as they work on it uh next section here we have a powerful sources problem as the game weekly sources of power grew and destiny grew with with it this at times could really feel like a chore each season brought with it new powerful sources and optimizing your character meant that you may be still running three story missions every week or returning to the dreaming city months after those first few magical trips from last fall i feel like we need to do a better job of shifting powerful sources we could explore things like changing the value of powerful sources to create new seasonal uh, efficiencies um, or retire some powerful sources as we bring new sources into the game. Simply put, I wish we'd been able to do more seasonal curation of the time. Season of the Drifter Thoughts Part 1 I like Gambit Prime. I felt like a great, it felt like a great refinement of Gambit to me. I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. I happen to think I have videos outlining the enormous flaws with Gambit Prime and Gambit, so I guess if Luke Smith wants to watch those, he can. I believe there's a lot of good thought and response in those videos, as well as from the community, as well as those Q&A sessions. I I would just love to sit down and talk with him about this stuff. Uh, Matches end quicker, so it feels more efficient. That's I I agree with that. Uh, Invading frequency feels lower, so I can collect and dunk. Kind of true, kind of not true, once, once, especially once Primeval's out. Invasion frequency is a nightmare and is really annoying. I think there's something cool about the roles, although the requirements to get a full set online to inhabit a role meant not enough folks got to appreciate the playstyle diversity. Well, and some of the roles are significantly stronger than others, like Invasion. In the future, we're going to have to make a choice. Which Gambit is the Highlander of Gambits, Prime or Classic? This isn't just about removing stuff from Destiny 2, but the game cannot grow infinitely forever. What did we just talk about a little bit ago about repurposing content? It's about focusing refinements and ev- evolutions to the Gambit ecosystem. We think Gambit is sweet and deserves more ongoing support, and we want to ultimately focus that support on whichever mode ends up being the Highlander. There can be only one. Well, I would focus on Prime well over the other. Um, if if I, I think chat's probably in agreement with that. Uh, if you want to put a one-in chat for Classic or a two-in chat for Prime, you might have to click follow. If you're here right now and you're not following the stream, click follow so you can talk in chat. Following me is a free way to support me. Also, if you follow me, we're going to be able to co-stream the Bungie stream tomorrow. So if you want to watch the Bungie stream tomorrow, you can. I'm seeing way more twos in chat than ones, so I think Prime is winning just from the sampling here. That said, we hear you. Not everyone is excited about season that overly focuses on one part of the game. Destiny is a game with a lot of breath, and we agree that this season felt too specialized. Agree. I think, he. hopefully he talks about the Reckoning. Oh, right here. I was like, my gosh, don't gloss over the Reckoning, Luke, because it was bad. Season of the Drifter Thoughts Part 2, a.k.a. Let's Talk About Reckoning. The first time I used Phoenix Protocol at home, I knew it was over. I knew an exotic coat that refills my Well of Radiance and then refills itself as I slay so that I can continue to place my Well of Stand Here to be borderline invulnerable and deal tons of damage. Datto has a great video that talks about Well of Radiance's effect on PvE game. 
I do too, Luke. But yes, watch Dado's video. Well of Radiance is way too strong. Uh, I wondered, how are we ever going to make content that fairly challenges players again? I appreciate his honesty here. With Reckoning in Season of the Drifter, we got a taste of what kind of content we'd need to build to challenge protocol-wearing warlocks. Match-made encounters that accost you from all directions, plant snipers off in the distance, and put players in between a pincher attack of many whelps. Handle it. And giant bosses. Uh, and he says, I want to link a thing here, but it's definitely not a T for teen. <laughs> and giant bros- bosses. Also, he says, F you, night taken guy. Yes, I agree. Uh, this is what had to be. We were breaking encounter rules left, right, and center on the Reckoning Bridge, in no small part due to players in an always active well of radiance becoming invulnerable gods, holding all six infinity stones at the time. Oh, all the time. In Reckoning, we set out to build an activity that could be relatively easy at Tier 1 and scale up to be very challenging at Tier 3. We have an internal team here codenamed Velveeta. They were formed in the wake of Crota's end uh, modem unplugging debacle to help find the cheesiest things to do or use in the challenging PvE portions of the game. These players are some of our craftiest. Once Velveeta can get close to beating something or beat it outright, that becomes an important data point on our is this hard enough devaluation. We give them a bunch of tips like here's how this works, can you beat it? So if they can, it's a good indicator of the action game and gear game working together. Let's talk about encounter design. Generally, in activities, we expect players to complete alone. There are dungeons, raids, zero-hour type activities that can be played by a different set of properties, or in match-made groups. There are a number of guidelines we use when we build them. First, we don't want to spawn enemies behind the player. Thank you. Uh, We want players to play a game of taking space from the enemies. That's like when you overcome them and like take over where they're standing. Uh, We want players to have cover where their shields and health can recharge or where they can be smart using geometry, movement, ability, and gunplay to dig enemies out of cover and make interesting decisions about target prioritization. Also, we want players to be able to understand where in the space enemies will come from and if we're going to reverse the combat front on players, aka spawn enemies behind them, we want to telegraph that. We want to communicate that to the player. Also, we want to use dropships, spawn clouds, audio cues, all kinds of tricks to try and prepare players for reinforcements. Lastly, as character power was dramatically increasing, more on reasons of the increase later on, the encounter rules got thrown out the window. To summarize this, Destiny had sweet gear, and in order to create challenge in the Reckoning, we broke a bunch of our encounter design philosophy. The sweet gear, coupled with the encounter design, meant that the number of ways to viably and efficiently progress was dramatically reduced. We've talked about this, how whenever there's only a narrow path for success, that's unenjoyable. I've talked about that in indie games, also being a point of frustration. It's good to see that their philosophy is that that's not good. We want Destiny to be a game where you have lots of choices with your character, your build, what you choose to do, and funneling those choices down to only one in Reckoning is something we don't want to repeat. There's more about damage and player power sprinkled in this update and even more on the rest this also goes really really well with my well of radiance video you're really limiting what people like to use and want to use in end game content because it's so dadgum strong last note I think it's totally sweet when an activity challenges you to use something other than your favorite item. I don't think the whole game should work that way, but when it's time to bust some shields on the shanks in zero hour, I had to use uh, the distant relation scout rifle from my vault. 
I mean, uh, that's kind of a little a weird aside. Scouts still don't have a lot of legs, Luke. Um, and that's not fixing the scout problem. I don't know if that's what he intends to say, but Season of the Drifter Thoughts Part 3, a.k.a. Now let's talk about difficulty and touch on sandbox nerves. I started to talk about challenge difficulty above and drifted, haha, to encounter difficulty, but it's all related. When the media would come to play our Halo games for an event, we'd always recommend they play on Heroic. Heroic changed a bunch about Halo combat. It made enemy weapons more accurate, but not too accurate. Enemies would fire more frequently, which made you feel like a hero when you dodged them. It increased projectile speed, and Heroic lowered player outgoing damage so that enemies would survive longer and make their way further through their behavior tree, and therefore appear more intelligent. Gosh, I love this insight. It's so cool. There's more than just that the above going on, but that's a quick summary of some of the changes. Here's why we asked the media to play the game on Heroic. Because when the game is challenging, overcoming the challenge feels incredible. Important note here. Challenge isn't something universal. In an action game, challenge can be largely personal. One person's challenge, uh, one person challenging might be easy to someone else. Oh, so one person's challenge might be a typo there. One person's challenge might be easy to someone else. We've historically thought about the main Destiny campaigns as something we want to be pretty easy. I think D2's campaign was actually too easy at times. Agreed. And as players push further into the post game, they'd be able to find more challenges. Across Destiny's history, we haven't had enough challenge deep into the end game, and that's definitely something on our list as we head toward fall of 2019. Overcoming challenge challenges is a part as a huge part of what makes an action game's moment-to-moment engaging. Action games are a delicate balance of growing stronger, the game rising up to push back, introducing new challenges that force you to learn and become more powerful or master a new element, and at their best, creating the fist-pumping moment of celebration when you achieve victory. But Destiny has an RPG component too, and the RPG component is about customization, optimization, and it's a way for players to choose how they overcome challenge. The entire time we've been making Destiny, the action game and the RPG have been fighting. It's a forever war. The RPG has the power to dramatically overcome the action game, and the action game has the power to render the RPG game irrelevant. In a line, by nature, Destiny will always... Oh, it's a line by nature Destiny will always have to straddle. In order to create challenge during Season of the Drifter, we need to break a bunch of encounter rules. Having exotics like Phoenix Protocol basically function like a key, or hope you match up with Mel of Radiance, uh, match with Well of Radiance Warlocks, which then unlocks success in the match main encounters of Reckoning. There's a really good video from Slayer Rage on this in the context of nerfs we made heading into Season of Opulence. Those nerfs also saw Whisper of the Worm get its day in court. If I could turn back time, we'd probably not run Whisper as the original Black Hammer infinite ammo design. However, considering this year before Destiny 2 feeling very restrictive and power limited, I think we did the best we could with the knowledge and the intuition we had last summer. That is exactly, this is exactly what I've said about the power they gave us in things like Whisper and tractor can and Nikolaj shotgun is they were basically just trying to respond to the restrictive and power limited nature of the game they were just trying to give us power Whisper was an outlier that lets you stand still at a safe distance in a pool that makes you borderline invulnerable, never having to reload or relocate for ammo, and allow players to deal piles and piles of damage on giant bosses who aren't threatening. This isn't your fault, it's ours. We're making some stuff too easy and allowing players to circumvent parts of the game. Mechanics that circumvent the ammo game, relocate to pick up ammo bricks, or completely ignore reload animations, a critical part of weapon tuning, are mechanics that create the kind of outliers that we 
ultimately have to tamp down before the game spirals into the boss health version of Reckoning's Bridges. Essentially, translation, we don't want to have to just make Reckoning everywhere. If it's all if all you're interacting with is Reckoning, the game's going to get really boring. The other significant set of changes we made to the game during this time was taking down the Super Snowball exotics. With as powerful as Destiny Supers have become, they are, on the whole, dramatically more powerful than Destiny 1 Supers. I've said that many times. Using your super to recover your super is an amplification to player power that the challenge and difficulty game cannot keep up with. We've said this on the stream many times, but we're going to talk about supers much later on. So, it's good to see he's echoing things we've talked about here. Supers feeding supers makes it impossible for them to create challenges and difficulty because supers are so disproportionately powerful compared to everything else in the game in Destiny. You know, you got your weapons and your exotics, etc. Difficulty and challenge are important parts of mastery. There are more changes coming to Shadowkeep, buffs to things like scout rifles, yay, nerfs to mechanics that circumvent the ammo economy, refactoring the way that damage stacking rules work. We're going to talk about that in the next episode. Okay, Season of Opulence, Part 1. The Pursuits Tray is a caterpillar in a cocoon. Quest Log is a beautiful butterfly. (laughs) Okay, I've seen streams and videos of people beating activities in Destiny blindfolded. I cannot imagine developing the muscle memory and memorization, never mind the thumb skill required, to be good at Destiny with the blast shield down. Star Wars reference, nice. When things fundamentally change in a way that interrupts muscle memory and mastery, it's frustrating. The initial set of changes to the Pursuits Tray earlier this year did a few things beyond upsetting muscle memory. It certainly didn't get as far as the team wanted in the initial release, and it also didn't feel as an improvement over what previously existed. It felt like we started to redecorate your house, but we didn't finish, and sometimes that's how things in a live game can feel. The morning after the Pursuits changes went live, I talked to some folks on the UI team about the future. They had Reddit open. How do you, uh, have you read it, Luke? No, I haven't. Please don't. <laughs> they were crestfallen. Not just because of sometimes harsh feeling uh, feedback, but because the team wanted to make something sweet, exceed your expectations, and meet their own expectations. None of those things happened. We wanted to try something different with Pursuits in the sense that we knew where we wanted this feature to end up, but that we'd take some iterative steps to get there. I think we've got to do a better job ensuring the thing uh, that while we're modeling, remodeling your house. The potential of the renovation is clearer either in the game or some communication here on the site. We want a quest log with great tracking that can help players prioritize what to do next. Oh, and this fall, bounties will be separated from quests and PC players can assign a hotkey that takes them directly to the pursuits menu. So here is a really, really great screenshot from them about what they're going to be doing with pursuits and bounties. I think it looks really, really nice. Um, Hopefully they continue to iterate on this to make it really, you know, much more streamlined. Season of Opulence Part 2, The Evolving Eververse. Last year, we thought long and hard about Eververse and how we wanted to change the strategy around microtransactions in Destiny. As some folks has smartly pointed out, microtransactions is a big part of our business being a live game. It's not... Um, I'm not going to say microtransactions funds the studio or pays for projects like Shadowkeep. It doesn't wholly fund either of those things. But it does keep funds ongoing, development in Destiny 2, and it allows us to fund creative efforts we otherwise couldn't afford. For example, Whisper of the Worm's ornaments were successful enough that it paid, dev cost-wise, for the zero-hour mission and rewards to be constructed. This crap matters. You hear that, chat? 
Do you hear that? The ornaments for Whisper of the Worm paid for one of the coolest events that happened. Zero Hour and the Outbreak Perfected was awesome and it was paid for by some ornaments. So shove that in your anti-microtransaction pipe and smoke it. Uh, the storefront, which we launched alongside of Season of Opulence in the first part of the strategic shift we are making with microtransactions. The decision to run old content in Bright Ingrams instead of making new Bright Ingrams is another part of that shift. We want to believe that our players would rather just buy things like that from the store. Earlier this year, we detailed a bunch of the changes coming to the Bright Dust and Eververse this fall. If you haven't read that, you can go check it out here. The storefront is going to get another round of enhancements this fall, too. We're going to move it to the director so you don't have to go to the tower to see Tess to interact with it. That's smart. I mean, if you want people spending money, uh, we're going, uh, we're giving it some class specific content. So if you're on your Titan looking for Titan universal ornaments with small shoulders, you'll see Titan armor on one of the store sub pages. We're also going to make it so that the pieces you've already acquired from a given set reduce the silver price of the set. For instance, if you have three out of five Optimacy set on your Titan, the cost to finish the set in silver will be reduced by 60%. There are some other philosophies here that we haven't made explicitly clear. We have made deliberate choices related to cosmetic items and not having them come from gameplay. Gameplay rewards are where you get items, power, mods, perk combinations, stats, triumphs, and titles. The aesthetics for armor blurs the line some. We want players to get cool armor from activities and the world that feel thematic to where they were acquired. I've talked about that before. That's why transmog is a little bit dangerous. You want something to feel thematic about, you know, where it was acquired. Cosmetic items like universal ornaments, weapon ornaments, shaders, ships, sparrows, emotes, and finishers typically come from the store. There are exceptions, but generally speaking, that's how we think, that's how we think about this. We are continuing to try and separate capability or gameplay from vanity. Armor 2.0 and universal ornaments are big parts of this separation. This is also why finisher perks are mods that can be socketed into equipment so that their aesthetic can stand alone. As always, we welcome your feedback. Season of Opulence Part 3. The Menagerie is sweet. Have you ever been to an amazing party for something like the Super Bowl? It's kind of a party where there's an incredible spread of snacks rolling out throughout the event, amazing comfortable seating, an audio video system and TV that makes you jealous, and super sweet people to hang out with. Once you've been to this party, the Super Bowl anywhere else feels... Uh, um, the Super Bowl anywhere else never feels the same. Invite me back someday. I don't know who he's talking to. <laughs> this is how I feel about Escalation Protocol. Once I had the feeling of running around in public bubbles, fighting giant bosses with a bunch of players, even though getting into a good instance of Mars for Protocol was a pain in the butt, public gameplay never felt the same. At its peak, when you have a bunch of players slaying big old bosses, Escalation Protocol is one of the best things we've added to Destiny 2. 100% agree. We talked about a nine-man EP was just unmatched. You just always was so much fun. So glad to hear him resonating with that and empathizing with that same attitude the menagerie a six-player match-made activity where you make progress no matter what is awesome it's a learn by watching mechanics means that it doesn't require communication between players the way groups can make progress even if they don't kill the boss means the real efficiency gain is by learning and executing the fights quickly uh has Hasapiko, beloved by Callus and also beloved by me, feels like a great translation of the World of Warcraft Hygen the Unclean into an action game. 
I don't know what the frick he's talking about there. Uh, there's a lot to like about the Menagerie, but I'm going to close the activity part here with. We love the Menagerie. It's a great middle spot on a six-player activity pyramid with raids sitting at the top. Escalation Protocol, a.k.a. Partying in the Public, is a great base. We want to do more activities like this, but in the context of what we learn and in a way that can better support the uh, them over the long term. Season of Opulence. The Chalice of Opulence and somehow even more Season of the Drifter Thoughts. Having some ways to target and farm some specific gear in Destiny is great. We did a version of this in Black Armory, but the very, very long character-specific attunement questline for the Forges was a bit much. We made the Opulence attunement account-wide as a result. The Chalice was an even bigger version of targeting rewards. Players could unlock different sets of armor, different weapons, and even select their Masterwork pool perk roll. Pause on Chalice thoughts. We will come back to Chalice. Let's talk about how we build the game. While content for Destiny is released serially, it's largely developed in parallel. What he's, I guarantee you what he's going to talk about here is why things in Black Armory weren't present in Drifter, okay? I'm just predicting the future here. For instance, while Forsaken was in the final few months, Black Armory was well underway and Season of Drifter was in development while Black Armory was being built, etc. For years, people have wondered, why doesn't X release do the thing that Content Drop Y did? Get it together, Bungie. This is one of the reasons why. So even though Menagerie is sweet and Chalice is great, while Shadowkeep was being built, the Menagerie and the Chalice hadn't yet been released, so we didn't know how players would react. Because we have so much to build, we frequently find ourselves having to place many bets at the same time. This have paid dividends at times. We discover new and awesome things like Escalation Protocol or Menagerie, and this also has resulted in things that feel like setbacks at other times. An example of a setback is the reward chase during Season of the Drifter. There are a bunch of super awesome weapons in Drifter, one-two punch last man standing, but the path to them isn't clear like Black Armory or the Chalice. We didn't get a good enough job, uh, we didn't do a good enough job of rewarding players for their time or giving them clearer paths to some of the sweet weapons in the release. If we had a do-over with this season's rewards, we'd probably have dropped armor directly from Prime and maybe use Reckoning combined with learnings from Menagerie's fail forward mechanics to let players chase awesome rolls on weapons they could love. While I got pretty lucky with a rapid hit kill clip spare rations, ooh, I personally had um, had some fun chasing my kindled orchid. I personally had more fun chasing my kindled orchid or Ostringer. That is so good to hear that he resonates with that, but it's also good to hear why Drifter felt like it was out of place. Unpause. Back to Chalice. The Chalice isn't perfect. Being held hostage by the rune you want to drop from a strike or crucible to go make the weapon or armor place you're coveting is pretty frustrating. That's great acknowledgement from him as well. But having more ways in the game to pursue loot in a deterministic fashion while preserving the hunt for a great role is something that we hope to explore. I love that language so much. That just... Mm. Oh, I just want to I want to eat that sentence. Having more ways in the game to pursue loot in a deterministic fashion while preserving the hunt for a great role is something that we hope to explore. That's just bursting at the seams with yes, like that's what I want in Destiny. I want to pursue loot in a deterministic fashion but I want to pursue the hunt for a great role, right? We talk about that all the time. If it's too transactional, if everything's like a pinnacle weapon, you're you're not preserving the hunt for a great role. That sentence is absolutely beautiful. Things left unsaidish while looking back. 
There's a lot of awesome stuff we didn't spend time talking about. Tribute Hall, Lumina, the Cool Drifter cinematic with the Taken Captain, lore books, Vanguard Drifter Choice, etc. Full disclosure, I'm almost always going to focus on opportunities for improvement rather than celebration. Thank you for that. We're in the midst of solstice and moments of triumph, so the learnings of those things are still bubbling up. Looking ahead to looking ahead. The rest of the director's cuts updates are going to focus on Shadowkeep and the changes we're making this year. Here are some topics that will be included. Supers and PvP in Destiny 2. Armor, stats, mods, and trade-offs. Remember how we said powerful decisions? Handlaid stock gave you stability, but it took away range. That's probably what he means by trade-offs, right? Powerful sources, priming grams, and the world. Damage numbers, damage stacking rules, and more. I know this is a lot to read because it was a lot to write. I appreciate you taking the time to make it this far. Like all things with Destiny, it's a journey. The next two parts of this journey will look at RPG and combat games. See you soon, Luke Smith. And right here he says, A set of aspirational goals that can help guide the team to create better experiences for players who love Destiny, and it's a simple way to describe how we're thinking about the game to all of you. And even when it's true, there will always be work left to do, and we're committed to it. I don't know where that... that, that, asterisk is um, but if you're listening to this on iTunes Google Play, Spotify or watching on YouTube I hope you enjoyed my reading of Luke Smith's Director's Cut Part 1, we will do this with the other parts as well, as always if you're here live we're going to discuss and do a Q&A so don't go anywhere, if you're listening to the other locations please like, share and subscribe thank you for listening to or watching another episode of SNTR Presents, this is going to be my Q&A session that followed my read-through of Luke Smith's Director's Cut Part 1. If you're listening to this on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or watching on YouTube, you can probably catch me live right now. Probably live right now. Come on in to twitch.tv slash say no to rage. There's a link below if you want to click to come hang out with us. Gonna jump right into the questions. It was probably a long read-through, so this is gonna end up being a long episode for those that listen to the the talk and the Q&A. So let's just jump right into the questions from people that were here for the read-through. Do you think that the devs should release notes like this more often discussing the state discussing the state of the game? I think in general, when companies start taking this attitude of we're going to have a back and forth. We're going to have transparency, whether they do streams, whether they do actual talks, um, you know, things like that. I think they win. I don't think they lose. Now, some of the things contained in here, I think were phrased in such a way that some people might think maybe they're making excuses or something. Okay. Like we overworked the team. It was really hard, stressful, whatever. I happen to think that level of transparency and honesty is more welcome now because of articles and things that have come out about like what happened with Anthem and what happened with other games as far as people being overworked. So I think that type of dialogue is more welcome than it used to be. So I think that maybe we're, we're progressing as a community. Maybe we're progressing as gamers to say we don't want dev companies like killing their employees with schedules that are absurd like that's not something that we're all pushing for right we're not saying yeah do that man go crazy really hurt your employees like we're not pushing for that and when we hear that we're like okay we'll figure out a healthy way to give us content you know so and even if that's not the communication even if the communication is this is what we're working on this is why this is a challenge i liked when he gave us perspective on the fact that 
Black Armory, Drifter, and Menagerie were all being created sort of in tandem, like not in tandem, but parallel to each other. So when you see something in Black Armory that's not in Drifter, you're like, what the frick? I've tried to explain that to people before. They're like, I don't understand why the Ada Bounty system's not in Drifter. And I'm like, look, as angry as I am at the lack of intentionality in Drifter, I understand that Drifter was being created by a team and built at the same time as Armory. So he kind of warned us. It was a soft warning. If you guys really like Chalice, that stuff like that might not be as present or fleshed out in Shadowkeep, but it's definitely informing the future. I think it's very good and clear to hear from him that they want to give us more intentionality. They want to give us more of that grind, more of that insistence, because a lot of the times, I think when we look at pieces of the game and and parts of the game were like, why can't everything be like this? Number one, I think that takes a long time. Uh, Number two, I also think when they're building things separate like this, you're going to have to really try to find a way to feed us intentionality. And there was a really, really good sentence in here I want to read to you. I think the sentence is fantastic. He said, we want to have more ways in the game to pursue loot in a deterministic fashion while preserving the hunt for a great role. Okay, it's something that they hope to explore. Those two things are things I talk about all the time. If you have too much intentionality, it's just a transaction of time. You lose the mystery. You lose that hunt for the great role. You lose the loot pursuit, okay? So the fact that he's saying, we want to hold these two things in our hands, deterministic loot pursuit, preserving that hunt for the great role, that is something that the Menagerie, I think, delivered on very well. And now that they know that, Future and ongoing loot pursuits and iteration on loot pursuits should be in a much better place, and we should have things maybe closer to Menagerie and Ada bounties going forward. We've even theorized that some of the new bounties on this particular picture you have. We know right now what the gunsmith bounties look like. There's the diamond ones, and then there's the circle ones with the dots, okay? You got daily and weeklies. We can see crucible, diamond bounties, and, you know, a a circle with the dots. But then there's new bounties up here with, like, a recycle arrow in their image and I've thought what if that's a repeatable bounty like what we said give me Ada style bounties where I don't have to go back to the tower where it's like where it's like the the chalice it just kind of stays in my inventory I'm hoping maybe that's what those bounties are as just an indication that they're going to start giving us that intentionality as well as just hey you don't got to go back to the tower every time you know Bada Bing says, maybe I heard wrong, but it seemed like they were building Menagerie while making Shadowkeep. Do you think that could imply that we might not have Menagerie type of grind at least at the start of Shadowkeep? Yeah, I just got done kind of saying that. I definitely think he was intimating that, that, you know, we were we were working on Shadowkeep while Menagerie is being built, you know, so, you know, Chalice style grind is probably not going to be in Shadowkeep and, you know, we'll see. Just got lucky, says, when are the next parts of the director's cut coming out? He said forthcoming this week, so probably not tomorrow. Tomorrow is the Bungie stream, which again, you guys can watch that here. Make sure you're following the stream. We are allowed to co-stream those. We are allowed to to do that. Um, This video is probably going to hit in the morning tomorrow. I'm going to reshuffle some of my videos so the Luke Smith director's cut thing can hit tomorrow. It's more relevant. So if you're watching this on YouTube, more than likely, you can hop on over to my stream and watch with us. So... X-Ray Freak, do you think they will increase the drop rate of the Escalation Protocol guns? I would like them to revisit the activities and put new stuff, new pursuits in them. I don't know if they're just going to increase the drop rate. I I would think repurposing the content would be better. And then if you want those guns, 
maybe just do some type of a bounty system through through that's such a good way to keep content fresh without invalidating the past content like if somebody lands in destiny 2 year 3 and you repurpose escalation protocol with all new guns and armor and you're like yeah but i wanted to get the the Ikelos shotgun okay go grab the bounty from from uh the npc and then come do it and get it you know what i'm saying they're static roll weapons anyway um you know fat hotshot do you think srl can make a comeback if there is support from the eververse transactions I don't think so. I think if they're going to support something, it would be PVE content. It would be an event like, you know, the Dawning or what we're doing right now, Souls of Heroes or, you know, the Zero Hour Quest, like he said. I don't think taking microtransactions funds and using it to fund SRL, um, I, I, I wouldn't want them to do that. If somebody said, hey, Lono, what do you want them to do? You want them to take all this money? You want to spend it on an event or, you know, an activity? Or, uh, you want SRL? I would never pick SRL. I'm sorry. I wouldn't. Flying Mangoes. What are you most looking forward to in Shadowkeep now that we've gotten more clarity on how Bungie wants to truly treat the game? First question I have always, what are you doing with the guns? Are we getting new perks? Is it a new perk pool? Is there new power? Am I gonna, re- am I gonna be gonna wanna, you know, get some awesome stuff? We've heard an awful lot about armor 2.0 I gotta be honest with you I've never looked at armor that much I mean I look at armor a little bit but not to the degree that I look at weapons I've never grinded for armor the way that I did for an imago lube I've, I, I've never done that for the, the weapon grinds are the most memorable so my questions are always about weapons like where, where are the weapons how are you going to make the weapons better how are you going to make them stronger what are the perks looking like stuff like that JD Gamer do you think we will see this be a thing Luke Smith does every month so he keeps us a community up to date and gives us a look in the future. I think so because he started out being like, what do you guys think? You know, would there be a better format of doing this? I want to see a monthly, I would love to see a monthly stream. Do a monthly stream. Have maybe a community member come out and chat with him, talk with him, interview him. You know, hey Slayer Rage, you know, we, we referenced one of your videos in the state of the game. And in the, you know, the next annual pass delivery, we're really focusing on this. Let's have a conversation about that and allow Slayer to ask some questions. And, you know, it could be a little scripted, but I think it would really create a good environment, you know, really create a good vibe to say, Luke's talking with us, you know, he's getting kind of down in the trenches and saying, hey, uh, what's good? How you guys doing? This is what we're working on. Uh, we're going to be having a conversation this week. You know, Datto's here. Maybe uh, Sado to Rage is sitting here talking with me. You know what I'm saying? I'm not just pulling for myself. I think that would be dope even if I never got to go. <laughs> I w- it would be cool to see, you know, the community get that interaction. Dagnabbit Ben. It sounds like, in general, they want to make the game more challenging. Thank God. So, less potent supers, less cheese ETC. Do you think this is the right takeaway? I mean, here's the thing. If we're a little less powerful with supers and we're having to think a little bit more creatively about loadouts, attunements, exotics, if maybe we lean a little bit more on weapons, then it's supposed to be an action MMO, but it's also a shooter. If you, like, you don't want to have... Supers are so consuming, you know, and so powerful that I feel like a lot of the times we've lost the identity of it feeling like a shooter. And it's it's such a good shooter. It feels so good, you know, and I think that's an important thing to remember. And so... The other thing he talked about was like, he mentioned Whisper, right? And when he mentioned Whisper, he was like, we just didn't, 
you know, if we could do it all over again, he's like, we probably wouldn't give you unlimited ammo. But at the time when they added it, as I've said this many times, when they added things like Tractor Cannon and Whisper, they were just trying to make us feel more powerful. And they overswung quite a bit. And they need to kind of like, you know, back it up, Terry. They need to back it up. And so if that if that leads to people being angry, but there's dope loot and new new metas and new things that emerge, I think ultimately that's better. My question for people that are like, stop nerfing. Like, do you really want to spend a whole nother season go slamming down a well of radiance and just dumping ammo into bosses? Like, is that is that, that what you want to do? Or do you want to chase maybe a new trace rifle, maybe a new rocket launcher, maybe a new this, maybe a new that, maybe some exotic that makes your supers better or something, so then you're doing something different. Like, I don't know about you, but I don't want to spend the next six months going, kapink, well of radiance, uh, just empty your grenade launchers, guys, because we don't want them to nerf anything. And I know people are like, but Lono, don't you always say don't break stuff so we play with other stuff, don't nerf stuff, buff stuff? There's just a certain ceiling on you can't how are you going to buff other supers to be as good as well of radiance how are you going to buff other things to be as good as certain builds like sometimes things need to be kind of stamped down as he said to allow other things to rise and in my video about well of radiance i said retune it bring it down and then bring other supers up make me feel tempted to run slow nova or chaos reach i need to feel that temptation and as he said if not do you want everything to feel like the reckoning it's crazy that he says this but we said this we said well of radiance and skull nova is why reckoning was designed the way that it was and i told you guys i said the fact that they're talking about revisiting reckoning and making it a little less challenging probably means that they're nerfing well of radiance so i don't like to be the prophet when my news and my foreboding prediction is that things are going to get nerfed i don't like to be the prophet when that happens but this is going to be another scenario where you're going to have to listen to Lono being like, I kind of told you guys this was coming. I kind of told you this was going to need to happen. They're not watching my videos and getting their marching orders. They're just not. Um, they're listening to the community. There are people on Reddit. There's other YouTubers and other commentators that have made these comments about Well of Radiance and Nerfs that just are needing to happen. And that's why I'm really glad when he brought it up, he referenced Datto and not me because I don't want to get the hate for the nerfs because people blamed Ikelos shotgun nerf on me and you know, that's just not how it operates. It's just really, really easy to read the tea leaves sometimes. And I just like to get ahead of the curve, make my predictions, make my videos. And then, you know, everybody can hate me in the aftermath. I don't really care. But ultimately, I think this will make for better end game, you know, fights and stuff. Like you're saying, less cheese, more focus maybe on guns, different loadouts, different super combinations, things like that. Silver Eagle Legal with a tier three. Thank you for doing the tier three. And it's five months in a row. Welcome back. Swamp Gator. Do you think Bungie will utilize the fourth depositor on the bank for the weapons in Reckoning? I mean, it's possible. You know, I think if you're going to do weapon intentionality, if you're going to do weapon intentionality in Reckoning, that's probably where you would set your sights is the is the moat banking or something to that extent. It bring that chalice feel, you know. Meatbag. With what he said about becoming an ever-evolving world, do you believe that means no D3? If they move to a different engine and make it so D2 can be ported, or do you still believe there will be a cutoff? Let's go back and read the the phrasing. He said, we want Destiny 2. Keep in mind, he said Destiny 2. He said, we want Destiny 2 to be an amazing action MMO in a single evolving world that you can play anytime, anywhere with friends. I mean, 
the phrasing single and he's that link this links to a video what video does this link to it links to their the vid doc out of the shadows which is uh a video that went live on june the 6th so uh that i don't i don't i don't know i honestly don't know um oh we lost our uh we lost our link to it <laughs> i i don't necessarily know if if that is ultimately what they're what they're going for uh, you know is him is him saying oh this is going to be this is going to be a single evolving world right this is going to be a this is going to be something that we're always building on does that it, does that mean that we're getting we're getting a a game that never changes we never get a d3 I don't want to read too much into this statement, okay? Because he said we want Destiny 2 to be an amazing action MMO and a single... Okay, so here's what... Listen to what he's saying. Listen to what he's saying. Uh, Let's look at the phrasing. He wants Destiny 2 to be an amazing action MMO. That is... It takes place in a single evolving world that you can play anytime, anywhere with your friends. So, I don't think that means... Destiny 2 is the end of the road, no Destiny 3. From a marketing standpoint, from a we've learned so much, it's time to really launch out into a new frontier, new game, new new everything. Um, I don't think you learn everything they've learned in Destiny 2. and you know, I, I just don't think you go from how far we've come to being like, yeah, we're never building Destiny 3. So, this is what I've been saying for a really long time. I believe that what we're doing right now is like what Division did when they built Division 1.8. I believe that Bungie takes the next year and just continues to refine things. And there's two pillars at play. Number one, that can they create systems that feel like an amazing action MMO with great loot incentive and great chase for you. Like you're chasing, you've got that God role, you're chasing, you've got that intentionality. Can they do that? Can they create scaffolding and content for you to live that out? Okay, that's question one. Question two, is it scalable? Can they build upon it? Does it have elasticity? So, if Shadow Keep's amazing, if the if the annual pass is amazing, what do they do to build on top of that? Because if they can figure that out, that's your template for Destiny 3. It's it's one thing to every once in a while be like, here's how strong you can be and here's how much you can do with your loadout. And now we're doing this much, okay? And now we're doing this much, this much, this much. If if you're always doing that and you're never doing this, if you're never allowing us to build on top of it, that's the true mark of a game that can go beyond each DLC. It's one thing to say, hey, here's Forsaken. We changed the weapon system. We brought random roles. There's mods in the game. Here's Shadowkeep, Armor 2.0, new investment, new stats. Eventually, you run out of road, okay? You got to be able to build on top of it. It needs to be scalable. It, it needs to have, as I said, elasticity. If they can figure those two things out, then they have their scaffolding and their template for Destiny 3. Just like Division based almost all of De- Division 2's sort of structure and format around everything they li- learned that led to Division 1.8. Division 1.8 with world tiers and builds and all that stuff flowed right into Division 2. It was essentially their beta test for Division 2. I think we're in a very, very similar place with Destiny. 
Zorian Tasuna. He mentioned a change in the development cycle of seasons. Any speculation on what will change? Man, I don't know. If they're trying not to kill the teams and they're also trying not to... He said, you know, he admitted that Drifter was too narrow. It was basically all around one activity. I don't know how you achieve... I don't know how you achieve both those things. How do you achieve allowing your team to do... Maybe not less, but maybe just be more efficient and not, you know, not be getting worn out, but also not have really narrow seasons? That's a big question. I don't know. I don't know how they're going to do it. Um... So, would love to see Destiny on Unreal. My ongoing theory has been this. That right now, there is a team building the dev tools and the worlds and the movement of Destiny in Unreal. Okay? Somebody, there's a team doing that. A small team. So, once they get all that built out, they would then take project leads, design leads, team leads, or whatever, and say, hey... You guys build the weapons. You're the team lead for the weapons team. We're going to train you on how to use these dev tools and this engine to build a gun. And then you're going to go back and slowly assimilate your team into the Destiny 3 production team, right? So slowly but surely, if there, let's say there's 800 people right now working on Destiny 2. Over the months, that number would get smaller and people would be trickling over to the Destiny 3 production team and learning Unreal. Now, the benefit here would be Unreal is more agile, it's quicker, it's better, it's more efficient. So the result would be they could build Destiny 3 in less time and give us more stuff. Also, Destiny 3 in Unreal would be in a system that is more agile, easier to add to, so they could be delivering seasonal updates and things almost right away. So if you're like, Destiny 3 doesn't seem that big, they'd say, hold on to your hat, brother. Here's the roadmap. We're adding way more content now in a much better rhythm because we're building in Unreal. So... Unreal is not the best for MMOs, just saying their UI tools are very limited, personal experience. Whatever the engine is, you know what I'm saying? Whatever they've decided, we use Unreal as an example, but the truth is, is that I believe whatever they're doing right now, the dev tools and the Tiger engine are just going to become quickly, quickly outdated and continue to be shackles on their efficiency. So, uh, next question, the, conchi- the, the conchitis. Uh, I have heard... Oh, I'm sorry. I have a hard time understanding why anyone would complain about getting nerfed. You have a hard time understanding that? Getting nerfed's not fun. You don't like when stuff's weaker. Like when Shards of Galanor and Skull of the Dire Ahamkara got weaker. I wasn't happy about that. It's not fun. Um, it's You can't empathize with that? In my opinion, those are the best times in the game. Taking King basically made everything you had useless and everyone loved it. Can you help me understand why someone would be upset about chasing new power? Well, I mean... I can't help you understand why people don't want to chase new power. I, I'm i one of the people that gets really hot and bothered when I'm like, why don't you want to leave your gear behind? Put your stupid Ikelos shotgun and midnight coup away. Put it away. It's time for new, right? There needs to be a time where like, yeah, that stuff can't be leveled up anymore. Like you're saying, Taken King, right? Um, but this doesn't directly relate to uh, being nerfed. This doesn't directly relate to being nerfed. If they nerf Well of Radiance, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to have be made useless and have to chase new stuff. Well of Radiance just needs to function as a sensible super. It doesn't need nerfed into the ground. So, I resonate with what you're saying, though. Yeah, I agree. Yes. 
I, they, I should be chasing new stuff. It's a loot pursuit game. People argue out of both sides of their mouth. They're like, I love my loot so much that I, I really don't want to ever have to replace it. And it's like, wait, what? You're in a loot pursuit game. Don't you want a, a time and a context and an ethos where you are basically feeling the need to chase new loot? Uh, didn't you love the freshness and that that charming appeal of like, oh, it's got that new car smell. Taken King. Ooh, greens are helpful. Blues are helpful. There's something awesome about that. And then, then the legendaries are like, yo, look at this Suros. Yo, look at this thing. I don't know. <laughs> Here's why I always say they should just wipe the slate clean and be like, yeah, your stuff can't be upgraded anymore. Here's why. If you love loot and you're angered by that, guess what? You're hooked anyway. You're going to play anyway. So quit crying and get to grinding. That's what would happen. It's not like they would do that and a bunch of people are like, that's it. I'm done. I'm not playing Destiny anymore. No, the people that get that uh, that upset are usually so motivated by the loot, they're like well, I'm really mad but, uh, that shotgun over there looks really good. Well, oh, okay, I'll play. <laughs> they're gonna chase the new stuff. You know, prune the, prune the rose bush, man. Prune it. Prune it up. They'll play anyway. Now you've got a problem. You've set a precedent. You let people take year one into year two, so now they think they're going into year three with the same mentality. You better really, you better really bring the power so I'm putting down my my year one, year two stuff. And then people always say this, well, then what's the point, Lono? What is the point in grinding for good gear? I'll tell you what the point is. When I grind for good gear, I use it and feel awesome. I was playing today during Souls of Heroes using my Awe Stringer, using my Threat Level. And you know what? If in a couple of months those things are made irrelevant, that's okay. Because I'll grind for new stuff that I use. You know? Lumen. This feels like a response to all the negative dev attack, devs attacks, devs attack gamers press lately. Okay, sorry. I, I was having a hard time with that. So this is a response to all the negative devs attack gamers like we're seeing devs attacking gamers press do you think Bungie is aware of this and this is a step in the right direction here's the thing this was already planned before all that crap happened Bungie's been talking to us way more um, uh, probably since the pre-launch of Forsaken and Beyond they've been really really good to talk to us Anybody's like, Bungie just doesn't ever talk to us. They just don't listen. I'm like, what the frick are you talking about? I, I feel like we get more communication from Bungie than there's very few devs that beat them in weekly interaction with the community. There are very few devs that even come close. Seriously, I'm, I'm dead serious. There's almost, there's very few. And the reason I say that is because it should be welcome, applauded, and, and be we should be happy about it. So, um, you know... I, I think that that is, I think that's a good sign, you know. I don't think this is like a, oh, there's some bad press out there. Let's be the antithesis of that bad press, you know. Stream review, Lono, I like my crap and sometimes I don't have the time to grind the new crap. That's not a stream review, homie. No, 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 no. Don't try and get around my argument by saying it's a stream review. I had the same attitude when I wasn't a streamer. Like, when new content comes out... I am the guy that's like, shove all this stuff in the vault. I want to chase all the new stuff. That's just how I am. It's a loot pursuit game. 
that's what I want to do. I want to be chasing loot and getting loot and going, ooh, and ah, and not, well, it's fine, but I mean, I've got a great shotgun. I mean, it's cool, but I mean, I got a great hand cannon, right? It's not a streamer view to look at Destiny and say, you know, is it that problematic if like every 12 months, chunks of the chunks of the the item pool get left behind and replenished and refreshed and replaced that's not a streamer view listen i'm not saying every six months bungie's like here's a new dlc all your gear sucks and it's broken we broke it all it's all cracked look in your inventory haha <laughs> suck it you gotta chase the new stuff now i'm not saying that i'm saying like when something big when a tent pole drops boom forsaken boom shadow keep they should be like you know what there's a portion of the gear falling off 12 months after the, the loot has been instituted into the game. 12 months. So, if you got a bunch of dope stuff in Menagerie, 12 months later, that stuff starts to fall off and you can't infuse it anymore. It's, it's, it's veteran status. It's seasoned or whatever. Yeah, it's too old. You can't do anything to it. It's too old. It's locked in. You got, that was added to the game 12 months ago. You can't do anything with it anymore. But that stuff, I love that stuff. Here's the thing. If you can't infuse... Imagine not being able to infuse any of your gear after a certain date. 75% of the game is still playable to you. Strikes, daily missions, even nightfalls to a certain extent, right? 540, you'd have to be able to take the gear up to 540. Anything below that would get left behind. But you do public events, you could do all kind of stuff with that gear. PvP as long as light power is not enabled. It would still have, even if in 12 months... If, let's say in the summer, they're like, yeah, your Awestringer cannot be infused up anymore. It would still have a a slow trickle down of relevancy because it wouldn't kill your light level that bad in a lot of environments. You could probably even still take it into a lot of the end game. And if you have enough of your other pieces up, you could, it's, it's relevancy would still kind of be rippling for a while. There'd probably still be almost six months of the Awestringer being a gun that you could use, but it would lose that luster you'd be like hmm the chips you know the paint is starting to chip on this I can't infuse it anymore I think I'm going to replace it it's a soft that would be like a really soft push to new gear if you're never refreshing the game refreshing the loot pools refreshing the activities you're just I'm telling you you're gonna run out of road there's only so much that they can do there's only so many planets so many places to go so many occupants occupancy spaces on the director it's 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 a game that runs on old tech xbox ones and ps4s are in some respects kind of outdated at this point they're old man and there's only so much they can do so i'm always the proponent of saying refresh it renew it have things kind of fall off you know the ima- picture the picture the entire games like this and there's always a portion of like the back half of the game the oldest parts of the game falls off goes into the wood chipper and it gets spit out and it's shiny and new and slightly different i think that there's su- there's a certain genius to that if they could get it right like Imagine if all of your Leviathan gear became irrelevant, but then they replenished that loot pool, Leviathan suddenly became viable, they used contest modifier or challenges, and there were different versions of Midnight Coup and all those weapons. I don't I don't really understand the the mentality being like, no, don't do that. I want to use that gear for forever, and don't you dare ever recycle that content. That crossed-armed attitude, I, I do not resonate with it. I don't. 
it seems like such b- completely just blown potential and opportunity. It's old content. It's old gear. What the frick are you fighting for at that point? What are you standing on? You're standing on principle. You're not standing on what's good for the game at that point. Nactor. Why this game is not adapted for solo player 2. I've never done a raid this game. I can't complete exotic truth quest and more. This game is an online and as there's as they describe it right here in this screenshot, an action MMO. MMO stands for massive multiplayer online game. So, sorry, there's going to be parts of the game that aren't built for you. I, you know, I would never approach a game that is that is built in a certain way and make insistencies in, insistences on that game. Well, dude, World of Warcraft, what are you talking about? I have to play with other people. What the frick do you mean? I, I have to... What? That's just the way the game is built. Go to Elder Scrolls Online. Well, I'd be, I, I mean, I would love to run these really hard dungeons, but why can't I run them by myself? Because they've created the content to be for people to play in that way. Go to a fighting game and be like, this is ridiculous. Why, why can't me and my six friends simultaneously play against six other friends because it's a fighting game it's designed to be 1v1 what the frick are you doing you see what I'm saying you can't make those demands of a game sometimes like with the identity of the game the way the game is built is built for multiple people and there's a lot there's a lot of destiny you can play solo to be fair wow is the most solo friendly it's ever been the point still stands but you're still playing with other people though right Josh with the spoon you're saying it's solo friendly, but you're not going into the end, 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 end game of WoW by yourself. You would get put with other others, right? I mean, that's the point. Now, what he's saying is, he's saying adapted for solo player. What the question could be getting at is, why is there not end game LFG? Why isn't there a way to funnel me to other players? If if he's saying that he wants solutions like that in the game, then I agree with him. I don't want content built for solo players, but solutions for solo players, I'm in your corner. I just think it's difficult. And I'll give you an example. Last night on the Rageous Roundtable, Paul Tassie brings up the new Cataclysm and Anthem. And him and Mike are both resonating and laughing about the fact that it's a matchmade encounter, and if people don't know the mechanics, they can screw you over. They can grab something and go the wrong way. They can mess things up. Why? Because they didn't want to just make encounters that were plain and basic. They made encounters with mechanics. It's something that people beg for all the time. Where are the mechanics, right? So you solo queue, and you get mad. So you're, you're, you're in a public space, and you're like, just turn the event heroic like you're like come on well that that reality and that thread has always got to be acknowledged they can't just shove people together for raids there is so much overwhelming proof in destiny that you can't match make those encounters However, you know, LFG, something like that, a filtering process, funneling people together so they can play together so they can kind of work together to maybe get into an activity and enjoy it that I think is totally fine and legitimate to make that request. We've always got to make requests and understand. Like I said that last night. It's so funny hearing people say, I'm so sick of games where we just run and stand and shoot stuff over and over and over again. I want mechanics. I want it to be difficult. Then you go into encounters where it is mechanically not super complex, but complex enough that it takes forever. And then you're annoyed because you get matched with the guy that doesn't get it. And you're like, come on. You know, uh, you, you don't even know how to turn a public event, you know, into heroic. And it, it, it's such a, ra- it's such, it's a difficult razor for them to balance on. 
to, to make sure there's good challenging content, there's stuff for solos. If you're going to be making challenging content, like the menagerie is such a good structure. It's not failable, but if you're really good, the efficiency goes up. So there's always that small, he talked about that in this update. Menagerie basically teaches you from just like seeing stuff stuff it's not like oh oh i gotta stand here hold this and shoot that no it's really really visually accessible being being visually accessible even if you're solo queuing eventually the solo queue player pool you would hope kind of gets it they're like oh in this encounter you do this in this encounter you do that and they're not running around like chickens with their heads cut off but the point still stands solutions for solo players are really really challenging because there's a lot of you and there's a big portion of that community that just doesn't care they want to prop their feet do looties and shooties they want to get carried they don't understand mechanics and then if you just start throwing them into raid groups it would ruin the very thing that you're hoping would help you would probably turn into a giant headache for you if it's not properly executed OG Anthony, I loved the reading, uh, I loved reading this, but as a console a PvP main, it sucks not hearing about Bloom. There's still part two, but why do you think they've kept quiet up to this point? Well, let's scroll all the way to the bottom and give you a little bit of a comforting blanket here. They're going to talk about supers and PvP in Destiny 2. So that's going to be probably a two-parter. They're going to talk about supers and probably Well of Radiance and other supers that are underrepresented, and then they're going to talk about PvP. The the conversation about PvP has to happen. They promised us that, and it needs to be more than just a we're working on it. We you know, we want to hear a good con- this is a great conversation. Let's have another good conversation about PvP. And part of that conversation should include standardizing all hand cannons on consoles. Because I don't think you can adequately make adjustments to things like Lunas Howl and Not Forgotten with, until you standardize the way that hand cannons perform on console. Until you do that, you're literally, you're just spitting in the wind. It's going to come back in somebody else's face and no one's really going to be like, feel like you achieved anything. So standardize them and then start making adjustments and build on top of that standardized unified base of performance. I don't know how I don't know how you could expect to balance hand cannons any other way. Like what what is Bloom really a problem at all? I'm also on console, pretty sure it's a non-issue. To say that Bloom is a non-issue for hand cannons on consoles is going to be met with laughter from anybody who's studied it and looked at how Bloom performs on console for hand cannons. You you you, you can't type that sentence and be taken seriously. Bloom and in-air inaccuracy and recoil is atrociously inaccurate and inconsistent on console. It is just, that's just the way it is. I mean, I know it's inconsistent. It's a, it is a serious problem. It is why Lunas and Not Forgotten are such a problem. Because they don't experience them. They don't have any bloom. They don't have the in-air inaccuracy. They don't have the bad recoil. Like, you've basically turned them into laser beams in a sea of people with bucking Broncos. It doesn't work. You've got to standardize them. I'm not, I, I, I don't have the answer. I'm not saying remove it entirely. I'm saying it's clearly not consistently applied. Okay? So how in the frick do you expect to standardize and patch and get 
things to be consistent if some weapons are suffering from what other weapons don't. It just doesn't ma- it doesn't make any sense. Just remove it. Is what I I would probably go into the camp to say remove it. I would ask, can you please argue from a position of facts and intelligence, make an argument why Bloom should just stay in the game? What's the, what's its purpose? What's its value increase? And what I'm what I'm fearful we would get is that it they wouldn't say it exactly this frankly but ultimately what they would probably end up saying is it helps bad players <laughs> it helps bad it helps bad players it's more than likely the veiled reason that you would get fat hotshot do you think that activision was a major problem that bungie had to deal development wish uh wise probably development wise for the annual pass i don't know um i don't know I, I don't I don't think that Luke gave me any indication in this address that he was trying to like nudge nudge wink wink yeah 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 it was Activision I, it just sounds like there were things in place and things that took place and happened that were you know unhealthy you know uh, Luke Thugwalker did you hear about the new Capcom card game there's a tournament coming up for 500,000 no joke uh, there's tons of esports games that you probably have never even heard of or paid much attention to that actually have big big prize pools um, it's a big industry Ash and Hollow any worries on what Bungie's definition of challenging content would be for match made activities well here's the thing okay here's the thing that gives me comfort in what Luke said because he talked about at one point and he, he really really echoed something I've talked about He didn't talk about Delta specifically when he said this, but he was basically saying when you really, really up the challenge and you really start to break, he said we started having to break our encounter rules with Reckoning, okay? And what ends up happening is is you have people that that are almost essentially forced into a narrow success path. I gotta run this. I gotta equip that. We need this super, right? When that happens, that's really unsatisfying, because you're turning the event into it's like a very very low level under the radar it's hard to detect that it's happening but it's almost like an under the radar quick time event you come in here you use that super use that strategy you stand and shoot in the same order that like many other guardians before you have done like imagine like a heat map of a lot of the encounters in fights imagine like a heat map of reckoning that shows you where people stand and then they use colors to show you like what supers they use everyone's heat maps across the board across the community would probably be really 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 similar and that leads to boredom lack of autonomy lack of choice and then you're bored so if he's admitting that that was really unappealing my hope would be that they're not just going to dial in delta anymore because that leads to the same thing oh a delta do everything you can to buff damage and survivability then that's all that matters that's all that's prized I would hope that would not be the simplistic one string banjo they keep plucking because I really don't like just oh yeah it's a delta have fun in uh, heroic menagerie it's a delta with extinguish enjoy you know that I, I just don't think that's good one of the best examples I've given of good challenging content is they built King's Fall first they built it as hard as they could make it, and then they dialed it back for normal. So the spectrum of normal to hard was beautiful. It was so nice. Wrath of the Machine from normal to hard to challenge was 
beautiful challenge mode for Vogue, especially the Atheon fight freaking awesome not just a delta they gotta recapture some of that beauty from difficulty spectrum from destiny 1 don't, don't just keep dialing in delta there's other ways to make things difficult McCheshire hey Lono what ways do you suspect seasonal content is going to change based on the idea that Bungie wants to make content more systemic uh, and standardized I have no idea I'm, I'm not even going to speculate on how that's going to work so what's the definition of delta so delta is basically when Bungie says come into this activity and everything is stronger than you they have higher power so they take less damage which means they die slower and they do damage more damage to you which means you die faster that's a static it's always there no matter where you go in heroic menagerie that delta is always there so you're not necessarily dealing with a challenge that can be met overcome or mitigated it's just sort of oh well we're weak and they're strong so what do you do you throw down a well the whole freaking time you're doing probably a rig's tether the whole freaking time so when when he says that you know that's something that they're looking at that gives me hope that they could start to get more nuanced with difficulty so we're not all just slamming a well down because that's why the well is so one size fits all they have just consistently built content that is quote unquote challenging and by being challenging it's like yeah you're using a delta so we're all going to stand in the freaking well you know so their their acknowledgement of that problem i am super encouraged by that i think it's one of the reasons i just i have gotten burned out on endgame and destiny too because i'm like there's nothing here there's no razzmatazz there's no oh look at what lono does in wrath of the machine look at how he overcomes this objective it's it's everything strong and the best way the best thing to do is just to use things like well and tether it just it gets boring really really fast when people would watch me play wrath i mean there were all kind of different things i was doing and it was my style it was my thing the debates that we would have about strategies in the oryx fight or wrath of the machine those were so such fun debates because there was flexibility people couldn't fathom why i didn't do it their way and then they would see it do it my way. I had people come back and they're like, you know what? My team tried it your way and uh, we like it more. Or they come back and be like, you know what? My team tried it your way and we all agree that your way still sucks. Like, you know what I'm saying? There was so much more flexibility. And I think you get that when it's not Delta, Delta, Delta. Because when it's a, you're just going to, there's a, there's a pretty simple solution to Delta. Survivability. Because think about it like this. You can only output so much damage with your primary and, you know, whatever you're using, like a shotgun and you're heavy. You can only output so much damage, okay? So what are you going to do? If I can only output so much damage, so the speed at which I kill enemies is is capped. It's right here. There's a ceiling. I can only kill things so quickly. What are you going to do in response? Do everything I can to stay alive. Healing rifts, wells, hiding, disappearing, shooting tether. It all goes into like a survivability mindset. That doesn't feel very action MMO to me. That feels weird. That feels like you're making me play like I'm a ninny. I'm a god killer. Why are you hiding in that corner? Why are you standing in a well all the time? What the frick is this? Wrath of the Machine, I'm zipping around with SIVA charges and cannons. I'm throwing fusion grenades. I'm zipping around the room, man. I'm not standing in a well like, oh, we're so weak, you know? Like that, that, was, <laughs> that wasn't what we were doing.
And the weird irony, the weird irony is Luke acknowledges it in this letter. Letter, we're stronger. <laughs> we're stronger now than we've ever been. We're super strong. And we all stand around in wells and hide in the challenging content. Now, I will say, Crown of Sorrow gets really, really close to moving around and like good good synergy, right? But then when it comes time to do damage, you're just up, oh, standing in the well and bake. But the actual mechanics of Crown, real close. It's kind of like Vicarious Visions got inspiration from their own Spire of Stars, but also from Wrath. There's a lot of rambunctious intensity in Crown. And I like that. So, I would I would say that's that's a good example where they could have maybe done a little bit more, done a heroic version that didn't necessarily dial in a delta, but it could have dialed in something more we had to do because they I think they got a couple of things really really right in Crown of Sorrow. The loot's a freaking joke and I'm so tired of the soft enrage, you know, oh, we're out of, we're out of revive token. I I hate that, but um they got a lot of that basic stuff right. There's a lot of movement. There's a lot of shifting around. I love it when I'm zipping around a room. Once I'm comfortable with a raid, that just feels awesome. Because the first time you go into a boss fight in a raid, you're you're like, oh my gosh, this is so overwhelming. And then like a month later, when you're moving around there like it's your freaking playground, that's awesome. The, the uh, Scourge of the Past, I love that boss fight. I still think that's the best boss fight in Destiny 2. That is the that thing is there's such a perfect amount of pain and plate spinning and movements and and there's a lot of creativity you know I love it I love getting up on a rooftop and being like the anti sniper shield buster you know boss stunner I I love it I love that fight and once I started seeing the the, the like oh this isn't as daunting and as scary as I thought it was. I'm going to really kind of move around this room with a lot of freedom and a lot of, you know, boldness. That's a really fun place to get to. More cat. How do you think preserving the hunt for a great role will affect PVP? Not a big PVP guy, but I'm hoping better loot incentive is on the docket. This is why if I'm right about these bounties, okay, these bounties with like the recycle arrows on them right here. So these top two rows on this screenshot, there's Vanguard and Crucible Bounties, like a little recycle arrow. If those function the way that I'm hoping they function, which is that they're repeatable and maybe they just keep spitting out a weapon, then you could just hang out in Crucible all day and keep getting random rolls on whatever gun you're chasing. Now, obviously, when it becomes known that, like, oh, wow, this Vanguard or Strike weapon with the right roll is a god tier, like the Mindbenders or something... I don't know what to tell you. 90% of the game is PvE. So if a really good gun ends up in some other container for you to, you know, chase the loot there, I mean, that's, you know, that's the way that it works. And the beauty of these bounties, if that's how they work, let's just imagine that's how they work. Then a guy like me that doesn't really play a whole lot of PvP, at least I know when I'm playing, what I'm getting, and how often I'm getting it. You know, I, I I would put up with that. I would put up with Gambit and Crucible periodically. If the loot incentive is strong enough, you better believe. You better believe that I'm willing to go in there. I'm willing to go in there and spend some time, dude. I'm willing to I'm willing to do it. You know? I think that's a win. Uh CP4 Gators. Where is the balance between cosmetics earned in-game and purchased through Eververse? It seems in-game rewards will just be gear now. Is that a mistake? 
that uh, is just the part where I say thoughts. That was one of the parts of his talk. I honestly feel everyone reading his letter will come away saying this is great. But there is one section where I think people are going to be like, they're, just watch. The people that complain about everything, that's where they're going to complain. Because his phrasing about Eververse, where he says, um, the aesthetics for armor blurs the line some. We want players to get cool armor from activities in the world that feel thematic to where they're acquired. Cosmetic items like universal ornaments, weapon ornaments, shaders, ships, sparrows, emotes, and finishers typically come from the store, with some exceptions. Now, when... When he when he talks about that, I, I'm I'm telling you right now, I, I can envision people being like, I don't like this philosophy. I've seen people say cosmetics are loot. I've literally seen people I've literally seen people say something that I think is completely untenable and stupid, but they've said it nonetheless. That the end game grind in Destiny is an aesthetic grind. I think the game literally proves that claim wrong. That the end game grind is literally, if you look at the end game of Destiny, the end game grind is Nightfall loot, raids, and then things like Reckoning, Forges, and Menagerie. That's like a fact. That's not my opinion. That's the way they built it, okay? So you're not grinding for aesthetics when you're grinding the Menagerie or a raid. Now, you might think that the armor looks cool and you really want it, but ultimately, the determining factor in the two gauntlets that you got from Menagerie, which one are you going to wear? It's the stats. It's the perks. So you're still chasing gear. It's a simultaneous grind. Like, it's gear and it's aesthetics. So... I understand people being, maybe they might look at this and be like, ah, I disagree. I really think cosmetics are part of the grind. Cosmetics are part of the end game. We're just going to have to agree to disagree. I think ultimately what drives people in loot-based games is it's a both and, but even when I grant your both and, whenever I say it's, it's loot and cosmetics, even when I say that, a lot of the cosmetic grind is attached to gear that you're chasing. Now, when you get into vanity items like shaders, ornaments, emotes, things like that, flourishes, I don't think there's anything wrong with them dividing that line. The alternative is that they don't divide that line, it gets blurred, and then you can buy gear, and that would get really, really weird. So if you don't divide that line then it can get really, really messy with respect to microtransactions. So, if you're like the person in chat right now, it's going to say, cosmetic is endgame. I'd rather look pretty than min-max because you don't need to min-max in Destiny. Right, but they, they're they're leaning into the MMORPG identity. So min-maxing and really digging into stats and, and abilities and perks and loadouts, that's going to become a new... That's going to become a new thing that you really look for. Um... So, just read the director's cut. Nothing interesting and all around disappointing. And you're in the wrong place, my friend. I don't know what game you're playing. Um, it's high noon. Do you think that they're bringing in Shadowkeep and Beyond? Uh, do you think? Oh, do you think what they're bringing in Shadowkeep and Beyond plus what they're saying in the director cuts that being independent was for the best? Oh, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think being independent is, is already rearing its head and showing itself to be much, much better 
for the uh, for the game. Uh, El Pinto Loco says, "Hang on, we're at 26. Okay, we're okay. We're getting real close to the end." Uh, El Pinto Loco says, "Do you think the D1 Pursuits tab is still miles better than anything they've done?" I'm not really going to make comparisons like that. I'm, I'm allowing them space to iterate and innovate on the Pursuits tab, and I'm going to wait and see how it feels once they deliver deliver something. Uh, the grand scheme. Do you think that good static roles can still have a place in certain areas of the game, such as the raid weapons? I love raiding, but the random roles make it pointless to grind, whereas Leviathan weapons felt unique and worth the grind. I don't want them to punt and just start giving me d- static roles in raids. No, but I can give you something better. Let me run the raid more than three times for non-powerful drops, random rolls, but the curated rolls are static and god-tier. That's how you do raid gear. Write that the frick down, because that's how it should be. I should be able to run the raid more than three times for non-powerful drops, and the guns should be random rolled. When you get a curated roll, it's static and god-tier. Done. Ship it. Curated Rolls is one of the best iterations on random rolls that they've come up with, and they have not landed that plane. It's still hovering in the air. It's kind of like a, what the frick? What is this? Curated Rolls has not landed. And in some mistakes, in some in some respects, they make mistakes. The Warden's Law Curated Roll is a perfect example. It should have gotten Feeding Frenzy, not Zen Moment. Zen Moment is a nonsensical and stupid perk on a 110 hand cannon. It literally, in a math, in a mathematical equation, it doesn't make sense to give a, a perk designed for high rate of fire guns on the slowest firing primary in the game. So, curated rolls just hasn't landed quite right. So, a curated roll is when it lands and it's it's. It's a static roll and it's fully masterworked. So when you're farming for the Warden's Law, there's a curated roll with like accurized rounds, range masterwork, and then it's got, um, I don't even remember what it is. It's like Rampage and Zen or something. It, it a lot of the curateds don't make any sense. Curated should feel like a low tier pinnacle. Like it should feel really good. And and raids we've ranted about this a lot raids need gear that matter the raid gear in destiny 2 has been a literal joke save like one or two items how many raids do we have in destiny 2 like six and all the gear is trash compared to like one or two items and if you're like well such and such is okay or such and such is good it can probably be found to have its equal or better in the loot pool outside of the raid Oh, well, this hand cannon can be pretty good in this raid or this shotgun or whatever. And you're like, yeah, but it's equal exists outside the raid. You don't even need to run the raid to get it. That's just not how it should be. You couldn't find the fate bringers equal or the Genesis chains equal outside the raid. It wasn't a thing that needs to be a thing that continues. El Pinto Loco. Do you think this post was a big warning that the next annual pass won't have as much content, especially without Activision they lost no one but two supporting studios um I would say I don't necessarily know if this was just a big veiled apology or excuse for them not giving us a lot of the next annual pass um that's not that's not where that's not how I read it 
Now, maybe the annual passes will be a little bit more of a mixture of new and refreshed and recycled. And maybe they could say, we've been having an ongoing conversation with you about how difficult it is to maintain annual pass content and new content. And this is one of the ways we're mitigating some of that. We're going to be recycling really old stuff. So the Forge and Curse, Escalation Protocol, Blind Dwell, the Forges in Black Armory. These are activities that could be refreshed, renewed, and given new loot pools. And they could say, this is one way we're still delivering content in a grind for you but also not killing our employees lube doctor off topic before shadow keep are you deleting all your eververse gear and vanity items for bright dust would it be a bad idea to delete mostly of my most of my shaders since they can be pulled from collections yeah i would get rid of everything that is that can give you dust there's no reason to not do that far west fox unlikely however could they delay be a last minute throw in of a chalice forge type grind uh, that's what these bounties could be. That's what these bounties could be. These bounties, if, if if I'm right on my prediction that these bounties are repeatable or or you know loopable or maybe recyclable bounties that you can just kind of keep in your inventory, that could be a really easy way for them to be like, well, we couldn't give you the forge, you know, where you're picking your masterwork, but we're fa- we landed in a nice middle ground. You know, we landed in a nice middle ground. You can recycle these. They're like Ada bounties. It's a good intentional grind. By the way, if you guys are enjoying the talk and you've been one of the new people wandering in, a lot of people have been coming and going, be sure to click the follow button. That's the little heart button. You will be able to watch the Bungie stream on my stream tomorrow. The chat won't be as crazy. We'll do commentary afterwards and a Q&A afterwards. So if you're going to watch the Bungie stream tomorrow, make sure you're following my channel so you don't miss it. Gallerborn says, based on what Luke said about the annual pass rhythm being unsustainable, what do you think this means for seasons going forward? Since in the last stream, it seems as though seasons was going to continue. I just touched on this. I think maybe they're going to lean more into, like, we're recycling while also giving new, and they've already created created a good dialogue for people to be maybe a little bit more understanding about why they might recycle more in the annual passes. Uh, the one and only JD. With the annual pass being a heavy burden on Bungie team for deliverable content, what other ways could they provide a constant drip feed without draining themselves? What can we expect to see from them schedule-wise? You guys are really barking on this tree. I mean, I would say free events and repurposing free events, repurposing loops that are already there would be the best way. Dante Norris. Also replenishing and refreshing NPCs. Seasonal loot grinds the NPCs. If that kind of stuff can be refreshed on a regular basis, that's 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 maybe an easier thing than creating quests, public spaces, and activities. You're basically just creating loot pools and you know, a seasonal grind. Leveling up a planetary NPC and getting stuff from them would be one way as well to like just add good stuff. Uh, Dante Norris, I always like that Luke Smith has the ability to see both perspectives of the game dev and the player. My only fear is that he knows going forward, hard nerfs may be the answer. Uh, This could be my misinterpretation, but what do you see could be a happy medium between understandable nerfs and reasonable buffs in the game hopefully won't break our train? Well, I mean, part of the problem here is, I mean... (laughs) The Well of Radiance is not a train in a, in a room full of toys that's being broken so you play with other toys, okay? If we keep going with that analogy, that they're breaking the train so we play with other toys, I always say, don't play with the train so I play with the blocks. And the reason I say that is, blocks aren't nearly as cool as a train, so make the blocks better, make them cooler, right? Buff, don't nerf. The difference here is, I don't think Well of Radiance is a train, I think Well of Radiance is like a toy from the future, 
It's not a fair comparison. It's like an alien touched down in the room and they're like, here you go, here's this toy from the future. There's just no way any of the toys in the room can be made as cool and as awesome and as strong as Well of Radiance. It's not possible. You know, it's an iPad in a room full of interesting toys. Right, it's, it's, not, it's not of the same essence. It's not of the same essence. It's like having a television in a room showing movies and then you've got like, you've got like puzzles in the corner. Puzzles are cool, books are cool, coloring books are cool, but they can't compete with the TV playing episodes of, you know, PJ Mask. It just, it's not possible. My kids would be like staring at the TV. Look at these puzzles. Look at these coloring books. Now, after a while, they might go play with the puzzles and the coloring books only, only when they get bored with PJ Mask. Not because those things are better in their mind, because they're bored. They're like, well, we've watched 13 episodes in a row. Our brains are fried. Let's go do something else. So that's right now. That's the analogy. It's like Well of Radiance is so amazing. The only reason people switch off of it is because of boredom, not because it lacks power or it's not the best. It's the best. It's of another essence. It's from another world. It doesn't fit into the room's ethos. So sometimes, you know, you have to say, we got to bring this down, man. We got to bring this down. Okay, people really like PJ Masks cartoons. I got an idea. Let's bring that down and have it be like a really cool interactive craft sticker PJ Mask book. And now since we did that, all these other books and activities and, and toys over here also need to be brought up to being as cool as this. You got to bring well down into a reasonable level so it's within the playground and field of like all the other things in the room and then bring those other things up too. Because if you bring if you bring the PJ Mask analogy down and you have like a really cool craft book with stickers and, and like markers, but you still are leaving just regular plain old blocks in the corner, it, it's still going to, the same thing is going to happen. People are still going to look at the blocks and be like, what the frick is that? I'm not playing with that. So you can't just do one. You got to do the other. You got to look at the blocks and be like, what's a way we could make those cooler? How can you make those more appealing? Well, if suddenly those blocks had a bunch of Fortnite stickers on them and Fortnite characters and, and that, but all of a sudden the blocks are cool. You've brought them up so kids play with them. So it's never just a, yeah, chop it down to size so that people are like, well, you ruined my toy. I guess I'll go play with other toys. It's always that like, well, but bring this down, but bring this up as well. So they kind of meet in the middle. That analogy got crazy, and I'm amazed we kept it as effective as it was. Dan the Noob, do you think the section about the supers is referring to exotics like Blade, Skull, ETC, becoming completely different exotics in the future? It seems they want supers to be powerful, but to involve them in tactical decisions. Oh, 100%. Phoenix Protocol, Skull of the Dire, Ahamkara, Riggs, any uh, Shards of Galanor. I bet you they're all getting completely reworked. There will never... I wouldn't be surprised if from this point on there are not exotics that feed your super. Super gets a super. They're not... I think they're going to completely move away from that. I think he kind of already signaled that changing of the guard. They they don't fit. They don't fit. I told people, like, what are you going to do? You can give me an extra melee. You can give me an extra grenade. Oh, that's cool. Even if I only get, like, 30 to 40% of my super back, that's still way more valuable than a grenade. Especially with the orb generation levels that some people can hit anyway. You know? 
all this coming from a guy who was extremely excited bringing the best version of Destiny with the D2 E3 announcement. I don't really care what Luke Smith says. You know, we all have something in common then because everybody here doesn't care what you say. So I, that we, we all can, can have some good camaraderie in that. Uh, Mystic Glitter. I've been seeing a lot of people talking about the Galahorn. Is it returning? People are speculating a return of the Galahorn because they got data mine that we're going to be collecting like rocket launcher components. Uh, if that happens during like a solar week or something, I would imagine that would be Dragon's Breath. Galahorn would probably come back and be used in the marketing materials for a DLC, not just like a, hey, suddenly Galahorn's in the game. I don't think that they're going to do Galley. I think it would be, it would be the Dragon's Breath. Discount Spartan. Seems the reason they had issues with the seasons is because each season they introduced a brand new progression path. Do you think going forward they'll be able to finalize what their progression system is and can just use that to give us new stuff? Yeah, the power um, the power sort of structure is is one of the things he said is sight on. It was like, well, we, we, we didn't really figure this out yet. So I don't, I don't know what the answer is going forward, but I definitely think Milestones, I would love to see them completely overhaul Milestones. I would love to see the game change once you hit max level. And I would love to see the grind to max level just be more intentional. Just play the freaking game and you level up. Like, that, just play the game, you know, and you're getting drops that are leveling you up. Just let people play. Some working mom or dad or busy college student gets home on a Friday night and they're like, sweet man, I'm going to level up. I got a couple hours here. And the only thing they have left to do is Crucible and Gambit. You don't want them picking up their controller and going, oh, that's all I can do to level up. That is brain hurtingly stupid. That's not how to treat your player base. When I sit down with a limited time frame to level up, let me do what the frick I want. And then I level up accordingly. If you want to give me bigger jumps by going into Crucible and Gambit, so be it. At least make those jumps targeted so I'm not wasting my time. There is nothing worse than dedicating more than an hour to an hour and a half to five games of Crucible to get one drop and then it doesn't help you. You might as well come into my house and punch me in the face because that's what it feels like. Like, don't. They have got to stop doing that to the player. It is terrible. It doesn't work. It's bad. They've got to fix that. You need to be able to feel that every time they do a progression bump and a level bump that you can just play the game and enjoy yourself. And again, once you hit max level, I really think that's when things should change. There should be bounties and pursuits that are unavailable to you until you hit max level. I remember in D2 Vanilla Grind, you couldn't get something from the gunsmith. I think it was mods, the plus five mods. You couldn't get them until you hit a certain power level. And that was cool. It was like, once I get there, that's something that's made available to me. That needs to happen in a grander scheme. Wishwash, do you think they will update or change current raids with the changes to supers and things that occur? I love to run Scourge, Last Wish, or Crown without a well or requiring certain weapons like spike grenades, but if they lower our power for the new stuff, it may cause even more specific loadouts uh, in the other raids. <clears throat> now, I don't know if they're going to... I don't know if they're going to go back and say, we really need to repurpose all those encounters. If they do, I think they could make marginal changes to Scourge. I think Scourge, once you go to damage phase, enemies despawn. Would be a super, super easy fix. You wouldn't need a well. You wouldn't need a well. 
One of the main reasons you really need a well in Scourge is because the enemies don't despawn, so unless you're super diligent to get rid of snipers and captains, you can get absolutely baked during a damage phase. Or, maybe just get creative. Somebody's got to go on ad clearing duty, but the problem with that is that breaks your damage cycle because of the because of the buffs and debuffs. Like, you got to stand next to somebody who has continuous if you're continuous, right? You can't be running around uh, trying to kill ads. So, I think a real easy fix to Scourge would just be like, yeah, the ads despawn. Most of the other encounters, I honestly think, would be okay. Most of them wouldn't be that bad. What, Morgath? I mean, you still would have a well. It's still going to do something. So, you know, your Morgath and a lot of the other fights would not be that bad. Shuro, Chi, and the like. You know, when it's time to shoot the eyes at Riven, and people turn it into a damage phase. Somebody's got to be killing those ogres. And again, how much do they really need to go back and make sure all that content is perfect and pristine remains to be seen. I don't even know how many people would be engaging with it at that point. The only one I could think of that would be really, truly problematic would be Scourge. Oh, 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 and, um, and in Crown with the Thrall, you'd have to consider a way to get rid of the Thrall that are slapping the frick out of you. Um, so... Far West Fox. Even if they nerf well and tether, doesn't that leave all Titan classes in the dust? It's more well tether that needs a nerf or that Titans are becoming dead weight. Already kind of talked about this. You gotta bring down and raise up others. It's not it's not a it's not a one-sided situation. It's a two-sided situation. Both sides of the super and attunement pool need addressed. Eknor. Do you think they need to get rid of milestone systems? Doing these things to level up gets really depressing. Just touched on this. Really hit hit what I would feel like is a pretty home run rant on the milestone and level system being pretty bad. Blader Magician. Luke mentioned that the annual pass was too hard on their devs, but that they used outside studios to help develop a good portion of the content. How are they going to be able to deliver going forward? This relates to answers I've already given thus far that I believe they're going to leave lean even more heavily on repurposing old content. I told you guys months ago that my instinct was once they lost those studios that the next annual pass would be a lot of repurposing and recycling and I said I would be totally okay with that and I would not be surprised if that comes to fruition. I thought it was free. It was refreshing to hear Luke talk about heroic mode Halo. Does this mean heroic story replay of Destiny 2? Ooh. Difficulty spectrum, raising the difficulty, yes, raising the difficulty of areas, raising the difficulty of public of public spaces, raids, uh, uh, strikes, yeah, that'd be great, that'd be great. Morecat says, outside of 12 months later, leaving behind that installment of loot, how can we make raid curateds and pinnacles and avoid game-breaking power creep? I don't have the answer to this question. That's why I said, can they build scaffolding and systems that motivate my grind and my chase? And can it be built upon? Can it be elastic and scalable? That is the question that they have to figure out because I don't have the answer. I'm not that... I'm not that thought out about it. I've got some pretty good ideas I think that I trot out that I think would be good solutions to problems and give good value and elasticity and and good persisting value, but I don't freaking know how you do it other than just basically taking the gear away or making it so you can't infuse it anymore. Uh, That's about all I got in in my tool bag of ideas because it's really tough to be like, Within a given archetype, you did. You grinded for the god roll hand cannon, the god roll whatever. It's really tough in the context of the way destiny flows, damages output, and guns function. It's really difficult to make that fusion or that hand cannon that you went that you chased. How do I make that weaker in the future? You can't make Midnight Coup bad. It's not 
possible. The way that damage functions, the way that primary weapons function against trash ads, the midnight coup is always good. Why? Within that archetype, with that amount of aim assist, with that amount of reload, with that amount of, you know, accuracy and rampage, it's always going to be good. Always. The only way it gets left behind is if you basically kind of force it. Now, people like new perks, new modifiers, new boss mechanics. I Again... There's only so much you can do. You can only kill trash ads so fast. So if you give me a a gun that on paper is way stronger than the Midnight Coup, I can still only kill trash ads so fast. One shot, one shot, one shot, one shot. Even though it's stronger than the Midnight Coup. the, the, The data of power is there, but the expression of power really wouldn't be. Now, if it starts to leave its lane and you make it so strong that it starts being good for majors and shielded enemies, you've just disrupted power hierarchy and it wouldn't work right. It, it, you know, it's like it's like the outbreak perfected in six people shooting, you know, the, the scourge boss, you know, that that becomes absurd. Why? The gun just completely leaves its lane. I'm a little bit OK with it with outbreak perfected because it's an exotic and it's a unique situation. But still, that's a picture of if you just keep raising the power dial on primaries they start to leave their lane and it just becomes absurd. Stevie Ray Blake, I may have missed your 17 month resub and then uh, three months from good golly grieve. That is a blue badge. So I'm going to keep streaming. So don't go anywhere. If you enjoyed this, remember to click follow because I am going to be streaming the Bungie stream tomorrow. So if you're watching this in another location and it's the 14th and it's not 1 PM Eastern yet, come on in and hang out with us for the Bungie stream. If not, as always, you can catch us live at twitch.tv slash say no to rage. Follow me there. So you don't miss out. And as always with watching and listening to all my content, please like share and subscribe.